0: Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the podcast that understands that podcasting is not praxis. Today we have Ambria,
1: Hope, and our amazing guest, Shawnee Smith.
0: Hey! Hi. Hi! We're so excited to have Chicago organizing legend, Shawnee Smith, on the show. Yay! I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, oh, thank you for being here. Is there anything else you want to say about yourself, about who you are and what you do, really quick?
2: Well, I am just honored to to be recognized as a bitch <laughs> in this day and age. Yeah. <laughs> Love
0: it. A bad bitch. Honor, right?
2: <laughs> um, totally. I. Currently work with SEIU Healthcare as a full-time organizer. I just launched uh, my business as a personal development coach, and my passion and my core is just really being able to embolden and empower women to live a fulfilling life, uh, a, a spiritually fulfilling life. Uh, a ful- uh, a life that is is based on social justice as well, and and utilize that guidance and unlock their gifts that they are able to achieve what it is that they want to achieve. So yeah, that's that's more about wow.
0: me. Woo! Amazing. That's amazing. Uh, okay, so um, we're also gonna ask Johnny to explain a little bit more about what she's working on and her experiences um, a little bit later on. But first, we kind of wanted to talk about a basic explanation of organizing because we like to assume, you know, that everybody comes to the table with different amounts of background knowledge. And that's one thing we always try to consider. So what is organizing? We often hear people say things like, You know, when you do it this way, that's not organizing. And that might be confusing for some folks. So we'll talk about what it is and some of the broad strokes a little bit later about disagreements with it, particularly here in Chicago. It may sound weird, but I think it could help to take us back to the broader definition of the word organizing, which is to arrange several elements into a purposeful sequential or spatial order or structure. Yeah. And what stands out to me there is the word purposeful. So I think when we think about organizing people into a structure to do something, it's with a goal in mind. So what are we trying to achieve? How are we doing it? And I'm going to read a quote from Marshall Ganz who was the director of the United Farm Workers Union for many years. And he defines organizing by listing out all the things that an organizer does. So it's the first paragraph of his brief article that's just called, What is Organizing? And it says, Organizers identify, recruit, and develop leadership, build community around leadership, and build power out of community. Organizers challenge people to act on behalf of shared values and interests. They develop the relationships, understanding, and action that enable people to gain new understanding of their interests, new resources, and new capacity to use these resources on behalf of their interests. Organizers work through dialogues and relationships, understanding, and action carried out as campaigns. Mm. This can all sound kind of abstract when you don't have any experience with it, so to be a little bit more literal, I mean, something that I've learned is that a lot of organizing is just talking. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's building relationships. Did I hear a yeah? Did I hear an amen? I said yes. yes. (laughs) Awesome. You know, and that's the thing is it's about building relationships within a group of people that need something in a purposeful way that hopes to address that need and then do it, you know, and doing it in an organized way. And so it's about formalizing all of this casual conversations that we have around shared problems so that a group of people can figure out a strategy so that you go from, you know, grumbling in the hallways of your office or in G-chat to creating official communications and making collective demands.
1: Totally. And I always have to get that word in whenever Laura is not on the show for her. Um, <laughs> but I also think that organizing <laughs> means helping others to see the ways that their problems are shared or at least connected and that that in turn helps them to fight the system So that's also why looking at things intersectionally is so key. It helps people find allies in others who maybe aren't necessarily exactly like them, but they have some of the shared problems and are being hurt in similar ways. And this builds even bigger people power.
2: And just with what what both of you all are saying, I I most certainly agree um, with all of that. But I also say that the key, the primary key for organizing, particularly from my perspective, is building relationships, building authentic Mm -hmm. relationships. Want to be able to build authentic relationships so we can make connections and and we can bring unity across lines of division, right? As as when Saul when, when he identified organizing, quite often he would say power or identify the word power as the ability to act, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when you talk about what does power look like, in the organizing world it's often defined that power is organized people and organized money. And that's good and all of that as well, But if you don't have an authentic connection with someone, you truly cannot help them to act within their own interests.
0: Absolutely. And I love to hear you say that because also I think another important aspect of that is that you can't hold people accountable without a genuine relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't hold people to their commitments, you can't motivate them or challenge them, and you really can't be motivated or challenged by them. If you don't really know each other. That's true. Actually, Shawnee, if we want to go ahead and do some of your interview questions, I would love to do that.
2: Sounds like a plan. Let's do it.
0: Okay. Um, so my first question is, what is organizing to you? So
2: organizing me is people power. Collective action amongst people who are in relationship with one another that have that authentic connection, that they build power together, that they act collectively, and they act out of a consciousness of abundance. They act out of a consciousness, um, not not from the traditional consciousness that someone has to lose in order for the next person to win, right, but Mm -hmm. of the consciousness that we all win right, that we all benefit, that we all eat, that we all mm-hmm. are fed. So that's that's what organizing is to me, is building, again, those authentic relationships and having them to move collectively to power.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. great. So because I love to celebrate things, what would you say have been some of your biggest wins?
2: So... I absolutely appreciate that that you said celebrate because one of the biggest wins is just that I'm here today, right? That's a big win. And Mm -hmm. often in the work that we do around social justice, around organizing, we forget to celebrate those micro wins, right? Mm -hmm. We forget to celebrate the micro steps, right? And... I I have most certainly had some extraordinary experiences and some life-changing opportunities in my life that I will forever be grateful for. I have appeared in national publications. I have led more than 100 nonviolent action trainings. I've had the opportunity to train under Reverend James Lawson, who was the organizer for the lunch counter sit-ins, as well as um, the the janitors' strike with Dr. Martin Luther King. I've had the opportunity to train with Lisa Fithian, and and these are just wins and experiences that I will never never trade, right, in a million years. But the biggest win is being able to be the change that I wanted to see, Mm -hmm. being able to gain assets to what I feel, again, was rightfully mine, right? Mm -hmm. And I started on this path and on this journey, I often told a story that – and and it it was my story but but my story went something like i have spent 7 years between unemployed and and underemployed and i spent uh, another 7 years with my house in between forbearance and foreclosure
0: mm-hmm.
2: but when i started on this journey i was standing in my pain and, and although I was surrounded by powerful people, I did not feel powerful.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And being that I know that once I was able to put my words and my passion into action and stand collectively with people that, that shared the same vision for our lives, that that wanted to share within that power for our lives. When I was able to do that, that was the biggest win that that I could say today. And, Ooh, and I that no is so beautiful.
0: Ever. That's so powerful and beautiful. Thank you. Uh, okay, I'm gonna continue I wanna let that rest for a moment.
1: <laughs> I'm not crying, Amber. Um, You're
0: crying. <laughs> Oh man, I have to say that resonates too, is just like really feeling empowered in relationship with other people and working together. My next question is, how has your identity impacted your work as an organizer, if you feel that it has impacted it?
2: I identify as Black. I identify as a woman. I identify as queer. I identify as Muslim or a student of Islam. And my sister says, with all those strikes against you, (laughs) right? And (laughs) I converted to Islam. She was like, you just had to go and get another one, right? (laughs) But, But I would say that it has greatly impacted my organizing because I believe that the most liberating of all of my experiences is being able to identify myself, not having anyone or anything outside of myself identify who I am and how that shows up and how I demonstrate that in my work on a day-to-day basis is I allow Folks that that I organize with, that I build power with, to identify themselves, as well as, again, when when I first started sharing my story, of course I was I was urged by an organizer to, oh, you should tell your story. It's it's so powerful. And but it was only powerful if I was standing in my pain. It was only powerful if if I was standing in my story and not on my story. It was only powerful if if I played the victim or had the victim mentality, right? And And mm. something that I always wanted to change. So some of the things that I incorporate with my work today is allowing people to tell their own story, but understand that they are not a victim. They are a victor. Right? That they're victory. Tell the story of of how you have come out of that, right? Share the lessons that you've learned on this path and in this journey. But again, There are just so many different ways in which I want to say how my identities impact the work that I do today. And it's always giving a voice to people and allowing individuals to find their own voice.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Kind of along the same lines, uh, my next question is if you have any advice for people who are new to organizing, especially those who might feel kind of like outsiders. Yes. (laughs)
2: So start with a very radical idea. Mm -hmm. Start the idea that something is right with you. Start with the idea that everything is right with you. Too often when you come into organizing, we are often told that something is wrong with us. Too often when we start organizing, we are told and we are taught to tell other people that there's something wrong with them. But Mm -hmm. what if we started with the radical idea that there is something right about us and that something that's right about us is everything? Again, stand on your story and stand in your truth Mm -hmm. and live that. Identify yourself. Be comfortable in your skin. Oh, that's
1: so powerful. That's beautiful.
0: I read an article uh, by a brilliant Native American woman named Eve Tuck, uh, who is a well-known thinker. And um, she talked about uh, how often communities of minorities, people of color especially, are treated from this idea that center, like treated in a way that centers damage and the damage that was done to them and how damaged that they are. And that our research and that our work for social justice so seldom is about the power and Basically any positive aspects of what those communities have to offer To the world and the things about them that are already amazing and upholding those things and although it's true That damage has been done to them to always be focusing on that Like you said, it's standing in your pain and it's forcing them to stand in their pain instead of letting them be powerful
2: That's right. That's right. One thing that we always have to remember that a victim needs is a victimizer and a slave needs a master. It's important that we are the masters of our own story. We are the masters of our own path, right and and that we always stay in victory and and that's what's truly, truly important.
0: Mm-hmm. Whew. back to kind of the hard parts about organizing, can you talk about? The challenges and maybe the importance of creating genuine relationships, you mentioned this earlier, but maybe you can go into it more. Mm.
2: There are so many challenges in in creating genuine relationships first let's let's start from quite often where the root of organizing is taught from. <laughs> and and that's the Sololinsky methodology right the, the problem that that i have with the Saul Alinsky methodology in particular is because when we talk about building power and we, when we talk about building relationships he starts from a basis or point of the outside agitator and saying that the people who are facing the oppression or the unjust treatment are powerless to understand what it is that that community needs, or how to get out of their situation. It's it's almost to saying, folks are stupid, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that they need the great white hope <laughs> to come within mm-hmm. poor communities within black communities within communities of color, right, and they need a savior. (laughs) So that's the first problem or the first challenge is this paradigm that there is a knight in shining armor, the great white hope, or a savior that's going to come in and save, right, folks from their pain. Mm -hmm. One thing that, I always try to lead with is love and love is not a feeling word love is not a feeling love is an action word and love is action and to truly start from a basis of love and to lead with love you have to have compassion and compassion isn't charity compassion isn't sympathy right Compassion is viewing someone as your equal, viewing someone as whole. We all are going to face challenges within life, right? But again, you talk about building relationships, you can't save anybody but yourself. Every day when I wake up, I have a power talk in a mirror, and I say, I am my own hero today. <laughs> and, and in this fight, in this fight, I don't need allies. I need accomplices. I need those folks Ooh. on the front line with me that are going to help me bury the body. Right? Yep. That's yes. Who I need in this fight with me. And I also need to share this fight with people that understand that it is our struggle that prepares us for our fight. We don't want to remain in bondage to that struggle. And that starts again with having good, authentic relationships and leading with love in all that you do. Oh
0: man.
1: That's beautiful. And there's that idea for your services. Yes. There's that (laughs) idea. There's that idea, too, that you can't hold uh, love and fear at the same time. So I think love also serves that purpose. When you perform that action, that verb of love, I think it displaces a lot of those fear-based actions, which is really powerful for organizing. Most certainly. And also love... Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you. No, no. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to say that I also loved um, the distinction between allies and accomplices, And it seems like, to me, accomplices have a lot more skin in the game, so to speak, which is really a powerful idea.
2: That's right. That's right. One thing that I was going to say, another challenge as it relates to relationships, is within the the methodology around organizing that is is popular as well, we are often trained to have a public life versus a, a personal life right? We are Mm -hmm. often taught to separate the two. That's very difficult for me, and that's always been very difficult for me. Ever since I've been organizing, I always refer to folks or people that I meet along the way as family. And for me, family is the only institution that works, for me and and from my experience, and I can only speak from my experience yes i have I have been hurt <laughs> beyond hurt greater from my family than than anyone else. My family has hurt me more so than anyone else right that in my life, but at the same time, my family has always been there, my
0: mm-hmm. family
2: has has loved me greater than anybody. In all my life. And when I am out here and when I'm speaking to people, when I'm organizing, when I'm building relationships, and when I'm making those connections, I want to see my mother's face in every person that I meet. I want to see my aunt and my grandmother and my grandfather and my father. Every young man that I look into their eyes, I want to see my baby. I want to see my son, right? And and that's why I say family. Family is, is very dear and near to me, and, and that's why I address people as family, because family is what taught me truly what unconditional love
1: was.
0: Wow, that's
1: fantastic. Awesome.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like it's by only, I mean, people can't, really hurt you unless you allow that love to happen. And, and that's why it's always a risk, but a risk worth taking or a, a risk we could say we must take.
1: for sure. Yeah. So I have another question for you and totally, we didn't send these to you in advance, which we usually do. So we're sorry about that. And you totally also don't have to answer this, but we wanted to know if you have advice for how white people can show up for people of color issues. Yeah. Mm. Good question.
0: And, it, <laughs> and in spaces, right? Yeah. In, in spaces where people of color are organizing for issues that directly affect them.
2: Yes. No, I'm not going to answer that question. Yes, I'll answer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We support you. <laughs> we support you. We ask because we want to know. I know. I know it's a it's a difficult question to answer, especially if you're talking to white people.
2: <laughs> I understand. So, first and foremost, I often include in my nonviolent action workshops, as well as when I do exercises around conflict exploration, I often include how to protect communities that are viewed as traditionally marginalized communities are often viewed as oppressed communities because first I, I say often viewed as because by far are black communities oppressed, by far are our, our black communities minority, right? We are a beautiful people and an abundant people. So, again, I often share in my workshops how to be an accomplice, right? Again, we want to go back to that accomplice. We, we want to approach and, and work with folks that we have authentic relationships with. Start with first it is not a black person or a person of color's job or responsibility to teach anything, right, about how to treat us mm-hmm. or how to approach us, right? It should come as second nature, and it should come mm-hmm. out of love, right? Mm-hmm. And Really quickly, I say when you focus on that that you don't want, you end up getting more of it. I'm going to give you an example. You all ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Embry, are you ready? You ready? Yes, I'm ready.
2: Okay. So um, this is the first thing. Whatever you do for the next 30 seconds, I don't want you to think about
1: guns.
2: (laughs) I don't want you to think about machine guns, Glocks. (laughs) I I don't want you to think about handguns. Whatever you do for the next 30 seconds, I don't want you to think about guns. Don't even think about bullets, right? (laughs) Don't think about gun laws, gun control. Just don't think about guns. Okay. What'd you think about? (laughs) No,
0: I did it. I didn't think about guns. (laughs) I tried to think about ice cream,
1: but my ice cream was having bullets in it. Right.
2: (laughs) Or gunpowder on top, right? Yeah, exactly. It was
1: like an ice cream sundae with some gunpowder on
0: top. It was all kinds of messed up. The little tiny part of my brain that lights up when you think about guns was exploding like fireworks. (laughs)
2: The point of that was is if you lead to build a relationship and, and all you want to focus on, I don't want to offend that person. I'm going to walk on eggshells, right? <laughs> right? I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to do anything wrong. That's exactly what you're going to do. <laughs> you're gonna put your foot in your mouth each and every time because you're focusing on what it is that you don't want, opposed to being just authentically who you are, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. And again, we we want to look at what I said earlier when I said we need accomplices. I want accomplices in this game. Mm-hmm. Not allies. I don't want people to sympathize with me. I don't want people to say, oh, poor Shawnee," right? I want people mm-hmm. to see me in, in, in all my beauty, my magnificence, <laughs> and in all my power. And, and understand that I am whole, I am not broken. Mm-hmm. I want people to empathize with me. I want people alongside me who, again, just like you had said earlier, have some skin in the game that has experienced a similar struggle or have a a similar challenge. I'll never forget, um, there was this one time I had gotten on the bus and there was a a guy uh, sitting there. And I had seen him around the neighborhood. He often had... Mounds and mounds of bags. His clothes were quite unkempt and just did not look clean. His hair was uncombed, And he had a little smell about him. And he was sitting on the bus, and and as I was getting off, I decided to give him $2. And he just about stood up and cussed me out. (laughs) he said I didn't ask you for any damn money did I Mm -hmm. and that always stuck with me because again quite often that just reminds me that I also have to check my privilege and how I show up and what I demonstrate in the world every day and how I viewed him it's not being whole, as I viewed him as being impoverished or having lack. So when we are talking about dealing with folks that do not identify as we d- identify, mm-hmm.
1: we have.
2: To first and foremost remember that they are whole and that they are human and that they are capable that they are not in demonstration of poverty or lack or less than right so that's a, a very key approach is is leading with love and being authentic mm-hmm. and another point that I also want to leave folks with is, if you see a person of color, a black person, a person that may be from a migrant community, or someone that is, by our society standards, traditionally viewed as marginalized or oppressed, then the worst thing that you could do if you see that individual in an altercation is to call the police.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely the worst thing that you can do. Yep. Because mm-hmm. quite often, you will only bring more <laughs> distraught or or discourse, whereas uh, relationships, right, with the police and and how those communities are often treated. So the best thing and the best way that we can intervene is, number one, make sure that you're not putting yourself in danger. I'm not asking anyone to put themselves in danger, but you want to, the best way without putting yourself in danger is to intervene directly or Mm -hmm. ask the person, do you need help is there someone i can call right and also if folks just took a collective stance that that is not okay mm-hmm. right call out the behavior mm-hmm. and, and a good way too with the person's permission is it okay if you record recording on your phone is a good way to document right mm-hmm. so
0: Yes. We here on Season of the Bitch officially endorse not calling the police. Yep. Awesome! (laughs) Yeah, officially. I also saw a little comic that was great that also suggested just starting up a conversation with the victim and hoping that, you know, perhaps just by pulling them away and talking to them, the assailant will become demoralized and back off. That's right. Thank you for sharing that really vulnerable story about giving that man $2 and for the answer overall, I'm going to absorb that as best as I can. Our final question for you is what are some things that you're working on now? Is there any particular campaigns you want to talk about, shout out, um, and also maybe share your website with us for your life development services? Stuff like that? Sure. So I have a couple of
2: websites that I can share with you. The first website is. Drum roll, please. <laughs> is chaoticjustice.com. Again, Ooh. www.chaoticjustice.com. Um, each month I host and I also try to connect and organize different organizations to host a space called Bold Spaces, and with Bold Spaces, that is a, I will describe it as a organizer, activist hub of storytelling, priority black space, (laughs) each month. So, Black folks and, and their accomplices are welcome. <laughs> but uh, but can, you can find out when the next bold spaces will be if you go to www.chaoticjustice.com Any options or any trainings that I have coming up you can also check them out there at chaoticjustice.com In terms of personal development coaching. For my personal business, you can go to, drum roll please, (laughs) www.livingnourishedtoday.com. Again, that is www.livingnourishedtoday.com. Yes. Other projects that I'm working on, Poor People's Campaign. I still do nonviolent action training workshops. So if your organization needs any type of nonviolent action training or workshop done, I'm the person to call. I successfully have trained over 500 folks for the Chicago Women's March. I have done a number of, of marches in the past: Tax Day March, Science March, uh, <laughs> Anti-Racism March. So it's May Day. So it's 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 been quite a few um, projects that I've not only taken part here in Chicago, but across the nation. And I think that's just about it. I hope I'm not forgetting anything. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, if you do think of anything after the fact, you can let us know and be happy to include it in the blurb about the episode or tweet about it.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: This was so wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was an honor.
2: Thank you. It was truly an honor to be asked. And I really enjoyed my time with you ladies. Hope to see you soon and hope to see you at the next Bowl Spaces.
1: Yes, you're definitely in the coven now also, and we are happy to be your accomplices. We'll help you with those bodies.
2: Woo-hoo! <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, you got
0: my number now. Just let me know. <laughs> Thank Most so certainly.
2: Much. All right. All right.
0: You have a good night. You too. Great. Thanks. Bye. All right. So I think one of the biggest conversations or disagreements, one of the most important things all around in organizing is how do we really empower those who are most impacted by the things we are trying to achieve? There's a lot of disagreement about this. Uh, I'm going to switch gears here and talk a little bit more about some personal experiences, but I'm also going to talk about some people that have been influential to organizing. Earlier, Shawnee mentioned Saul Alinsky. Maybe you've heard about him. I don't know. His name comes up a lot. I know I heard it a lot before I knew who he was.
1: Yeah, I was made uncomfortable by the methodology before I knew what it was, actually.
0: (laughs) Yeah, me too. I feel like I learned the most about Saul Alinsky after, like, I came into contact with methods that were inspired by him, and I was like, what is going on here? Totally. Uh, He was an incredibly influential organizer and writer who did a lot of stuff in Chicago in the 1940s and 50s. And I don't want to get, like, too far into his philosophies and, like, what's in his books, you know, because they do matter, but I want to focus a little more on organizing in today's Chicago and today's U.S., you know, he's he's influential all over, but his impact is still felt, I think, really strongly here in Chicago, especially, because organization with ties to him and his methods are still around in various forms. There's ACORN, which dissolved in 2010, and National People's Action, which is a national group known as NPA. And those are networks, right, of many, many community organizing groups. And a lot of those groups are still around, mm-hmm. and, you know, they've been influenced by these networks. I went actually to a week-long organizer training put on by NPA a handful of years ago. And that experience was really kind of a turning point for me. I had become, you know, more involved in these groups. And as I did, I felt more and more like I didn't understand what I was participating in. You know, I went to actions, the values Mm -hmm. really aligned with mine, but I was never really asked my opinion, at least not in a way that felt genuine. I was asked to share deeply personal things, and that's why when Shawnee was talking about standing in her pain, that really resonated with me. Like, this idea that, like, you really need to sort of continue to relive your victimization under the society in order to be, like, a connected and, I guess – deeply engaged activist or organizer, uh, we were discouraged from calling ourselves activists. And I do get, you know, there's a distinction between activism, which is kind of like showing up for protests and organizing, which is kind of like a deeper involvement in a movement or a campaign. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sharing these deep things were supposed to connect me to the overall movement, but I never saw that gap bridge. And I actually have a funny story. We When I went to this week-long training where... We went away to Indiana and we, you know, we lived at like this campground for a week. Like it, you know, it was a fancy campground. It was like, you know, kind of like a hotel with lots of land around it. And we were all in this room like sitting at tables and we were all facing forward. And the first day or so you know, the organizers who were people that we did not know, by the way, I don't think most of us knew the people that were leading the trainings personally, Mm -hmm. although maybe some did, but they would walk around the room and sort of do this like interrogation style, like get in your face and be like, you know, what's, what do you do? Like, what kind of organizing that do you do? And like, how many people could you turn out? And um, would kind of like challenge us a lot and be really aggressive. And at night, we were going out, around this, like, campfire that was there and kind of venting our frustrations about this model where the person would walk around the room and kind of, like, basically agitate people, as they called it. And we were kind of all craning our necks to see, and it felt very weird and isolating. Um, And a lot of very experienced organizers, especially people of color who were there, said that they they really felt very negatively about the dynamic that we were being presented with. And so we decided that we were going to nominate one guy who would 5 minutes before the session start stand up and ask to propose that the way the room was arranged be changed so that we were maybe in a circle or something like that. And he got up to do that and we were 5 minutes before the session started, but the speaker was already there who was going to lead the session. And when he got up and asked to make an announcement she, like, she stood up and she was like, absolutely not. This is my time. And he was like, well, actually, we're not supposed to begin for... An- we." And we kind of started to be like, hey, you know, the session hasn't started yet. We'd like to say something. And she was like, no, sit down. This is my time.
1: And wow. on my
0: time, like, you don't speak. And <laughs> this is a woman who's an organizer wow. in Chicago who's pretty highly respected. And we were all just flabbergasted. And this was, like, an older... And by older, I mean maybe, like, I want to say late 30s, early 40s, an older black man who had paid uh, or fundraised probably about $600 to participate in this training, who had traveled here from mm-hmm. uh, maybe another place in Indiana or southern Illinois, mm-hmm. and he ended up leaving the training after this. Ugh. Uh, it was incredibly tense and weird. We were all very kind of shocked at the reaction from her. So... <laughs> Long story short, yeah, yeah, that really changed my perspective on organizing in general and kind of set me up for some of the ideas I have now about why some of these methods, I think, lead to this kind of hierarchy and authority that's just, like, really run amok, in my opinion, and does not engender, Mm -hmm. like, true engagement and genuine relationships of the sort that Shani was talking about.
1: Yeah, man, that is a really terrible story yeah I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be so excited to do something like that and then be confronted with those realities and I thank you for sharing a story that's pretty probably pretty vulnerable hopefully it was at least a little cathartic to get off your chest on the air
0: yeah we'll see if if anybody uh from the NPA tries to (laughs) email me
1: (laughs) (laughs) true Yeah. I think when, when any approach sees some amount of tangible success, regardless of the reasons for that success, it will always be picked up and promoted by other organizers. And I think this is true, particularly for new organizers. I think oftentimes there's not a lot of analysis done on why something worked under specific circumstances. And we know that times change and all communities are different. And this certainly includes technology and social dynamics. So I think there's room for a wide range of tactics in the movement. I've always liked the idea that organizers are free to try whatever, and if it doesn't work, it'll fail on its own. I've seen this with DSA chapters. So when I was on the National Political Committee for DSA, we would discuss a chapter that was doing something that we thought probably wouldn't be successful or maybe we were skeptical about. And while we would definitely try to be supportive and would give feedback if asked, we pretty much had the attitude that they can try it out. And if it works, it works, basically. And a lot of times we were surprised by what helped bring more people in or helped move the needle on a specific political issue.
0: Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it makes, you, it makes you wonder how, you know, I think when you get involved with organizing, like an organizing style that you don't agree with, Right. Like you said, like, I'm very Mm -hmm. much like, I mean, a lot of the people that were involved with these groups are people like I have so much respect for who share so many values Mm -hmm. with me and who have many of the same visions of the world that I do. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was, it was very disorienting. And I just like, I would just ruminate on how something that had The language and genuine goal of empowerment could feel so disempowering. You know, a lot of times when I was involved with these groups, when I tried to research something or share my opinion uh, about what we were doing, I felt like people were almost mad at me. It was like incredibly hierarchical and the relationships felt superficial.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: To get more theoretical again, there's a writer and an organizer named Jane McLevey. I think that's how you say her name. I'm not totally sure. She makes a distinction between organizing and something called mobilizing. And I think this is Mm -hmm. really something that helped me make sense of what was missing when I was involved with these groups. So I'm going to read a little paragraph by her. She says, Organizing is a high participation, movement building, long term approach that emphasizes building the power of workers to challenge the power of capital. It helps people through a transformative process of self-discovery, leading to the realization that solidarity is both essential and beautiful. Mobilizing, on the other hand, is a campaign-focused, short-term approach that does not build the kind of power that can change the structure of elite power. It aims to replace the bad elites with more responsive ones who can be counted on to say the right things, but all too often not do them. You know, she goes on to say that mobilizing isn't completely bad. Uh, you know, it's a tool, but it shouldn't be the only thing that you're doing. And that makes sense to me, seeing that like being involved with groups that call themselves power organizations are very much about, you know, headcount. How many people are you turning out? How many people can you turn out? You know, as I got trained, I, I was getting the sense that I was being trained to get people to show up and follow marching orders, being a leader. and And they were very sure to call us leaders. That meant talking people into coming to actions and training to teach them how to talk to people into showing up at actions. And that's not to say that I don't think turnout for actions is important. I definitely think it is. But it felt like it never, for me as like a rank and file person turned into anything more. While in the DSA, I feel like the first questions I was asked were, hey, what are you interested in? What do you want to do? What do you know? What do you think? What do you come to the table Mm -hmm. with? What do you feel like you can offer? And that was shockingly refreshing, right? Maybe that shouldn't be refreshing. I don't, think DSA is the only organization that does this. And um, mm-hmm. certainly those of us in the DSA still have so much to learn about organizing. But that's because the DSA isn't very focused on the idea of professional organizers. Uh, it's definitely more about organic leadership, creating strong relationships that aren't based off of rigid formulas. You know, you mm-hmm. know, you you type in X plus Y and Z is going to pop out. This is what we have to build off of. And if And we have to let it be foundational to what we do. It's easy to say your work is bottom up. It's easy to say that, but much harder to actually do in reality. Like, we're not used to it. We need to continue to get more organized, but it has to be on this basis. People will only learn to organize if we let them be organizers for real. Like, if you give them real power in the organization, leaders only learn how to lead by leading.
1: That was amazing and extremely well put, Ambria. I think you're spot on with that. On a slightly different (laughs) note and and maybe kind of a selfish personal rant note, (laughs) I've been thinking a lot lately about the role that paper members play in organizing, and my definition of a paper member is just somebody who signs up, pays their dues, but isn't necessarily active in meetings or actions or more kind of real life things. And I've always thought it's good to have a mix of boots-on-the-ground type organizers and paper members, since a lot of times the paper members can bankroll some of the organizing initiatives. I read in a uh, meeting summary recently that some members in Chicago want to try to activate paper members and get them more involved. And I think that might be a worthwhile endeavor. It never hurts to ask or to try. I also think it's very possible that paper members can't or won't do things like go to meetings or show up at actions for a variety of reasons. And I think that's okay. It's kind of the each according to their own ability thing. And I think in my experience, most people have either time or money, but not usually both at the same time. So (laughs) it's fair for people to put in whatever they have at the moment. And I also just personally hate when things become voluntocracies where the people who have the most free time who can go to the most things end up having all the power.
0: Yeah, I um I'm one of the people who is doing the mobilizing thing and I think it's awesome to try to reach out to people more even if it's not to get them involved but to just like hear from them and hear what they think. Yeah. Um and yep. get to know them. But I do like I have noticed like most of the people that I've tried to reach out to like are not very responsive and I think it's worth it if like one person on my list gets more engaged if that's what they wanted. But yeah, I I agree Uh with you. And I, I like that you're bringing in sort of the positive aspect of this of, you know, it's not necessarily a crisis, if not every single person in the DSA or any organization is like out there at every march.
1: Right. Yep, exactly. And just to be careful when we talk to people that, like you're saying, if you approach somebody and say, we're so glad you're involved... We'd love to learn more about you and tell you what we're doing. That's fine, as long as you're not making them feel bad for not going to more things if they're not able.
0: Yeah, if you're not calling them and being like, yeah, I noticed you don't show up. Uh, What can we do to to fix that (laughs) about you?
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, it's like like Shawnee said, assume there's something right with you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Obviously, we've only scratch the very surface of organizing if people have questions i think they should throw them our way maybe we can do another episode sometime on this subject in the future but i think for now we're gonna wrap it up what do you think hope
1: yeah i think so all right so that's our show for this week um thanks for listening you can follow us on twitter season of the bee We have a website, Season of the Bee. Um, We have a bunch of merch and some pre-order merch up there, which is pretty darn exciting. Um, Rate, listen, review to iTunes. Um, Did I miss anything, Ambria?
0: Um, You can email us at seasonofthebee at gmail.com. If you are not a man and you make music, send us music. We love to feature independent artists. Um, oh and also if you have any questions or comments or you think that you're a smarty pants and you want to come on our show or you think that you're not a smarty pants but you have some good questions and you want to come on our show shoot us a line we'll see what happens
1: (laughs) alright thanks bye thanks
0: bye love you bye bye